friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, Flower in a Hat and co-host, Alex Dandino. Might be the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to pick your flower for you, but you know what I meant. Boo. All right, guys. <laughs> As you know, every day this month we are dropping a horror movie. Uh, we appreciate you guys going on this sojourn through the abyss of horror with us. Uh, as always, if you like the show, and we hope that you do, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially. If you happen to find the show on Apple Podcast app, guys, that helps us out enormously. You can find us on all your social media. We're there, too. Go ahead and, uh, you know, add us. Shout us out on your social media. That helps Please us out do. a lot. Please do. We're good people. You can see. Yeah, we're all right. We're not bad. We're not one of the true knots. We're okay. We're cool. You can see our faces on our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. You can also email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Uh, with all of your ideas for movies we should cover, themes, guests, double features, new stuff, whatever it is, if you want to hear us talk about it, we would like to hear about that. Also, as you guys know, every December, we stuff your stockings. Uh, that is a fan pick month, all month, so get your picks in nice and early, and we'll add them to the list uh, and hopefully choose them. All right, guys, that's enough business. We're hoping that yesterday you will have downloaded The Shining and enjoyed our... Uh, Long conversation about The Shining. Today, we are talking about the newer, very different, but I feel almost equally as awesome, Dr. Sleep. Alex, what are your initial thoughts on uh, Dr. Sleep? All the things you said are the same things I think. I, uh, <laughs> I, watched, the, I, w I watched the director's cut on HBO Max, actually. Yeah, the, okay, so this will be a caveat. Both of us watched the director's cut on HBO max. I had already seen the theatrical. So I thought that would be nice. It was nice. It was, it was a nice treat yeah. to be honest. With so you. if you hear us discussing, yeah, and it's long, but it's really, it moves very fast for that long. So if you hear a scene or something that, uh, you did not see, that is probably the difference. Yeah. That is something I noted. Most importantly is this fucking movie cooks, man. Like being three hours long. Yeah. I didn't feel like I wasted much time. Like normally with, you know, I mean, like these movies that last this long normally have at least an hour. I'm like, why is this in this? Like, there's so much. <laughs> this movie really has a lot of it has a lot of meat on its bones, but all the meat is so savory and delicious. It's almost psychic steam yes. itself. It's uh, it was really good. And it's really uh, all the performances are wonderful. It's the rare movie where I feel like you and McGregor is almost uh upstaged by a lot of great performances i mean again he's so strong but it, like everybody like everyone in the, who's cast in this movie is great even the girl who plays abra yeah. i hate child actors and she's wonderful yeah no i mean i i agree with all that i just it, like here's an example i i'm a pretty i'm a pretty hardcore proponent to the 90 minute movie rule yeah i think most movies over 90 minutes you can find a way to get them down without really hurting the narrative a lot. You know, mm -hmm. there are some masterpieces that fine. Um, this one is one of those where I'm kind of on the board. Like, here's a great example, right? Uh, Snake by Annie, the character. I was kind of, as I'm, I finished the movie today, I'm like, that character added 
essentially nothing narratively. We didn't really need it, right? But we did some scenes. But then I sat there and I was like, but I liked every fucking scene she yeah. was in. Right? I, like, it's this weird, like, every time we're with Annie, you're like, I feel like she should matter in this movie right. dramatically more than she does. But I really enjoy the scenes. And that's a lot of what... So that's the thing. Even the director's cut getting near three hours, it didn't really bother me. No, I mean, I think that's what Mike Flanagan does so well in this movie as the director is you can see how much he loves the material. And you can see how much he not only loves the Stephen King book, but how much he loves the actual original Shining itself. And it's not just because there's a lot of iconography involved. It's just so, like, it permeates through everything. Like, a lot of the time when I watch Stephen King adaptations, and I don't know if you feel this way, but a lot of the movies I've watched of Stephen King adaptations have been like pretty much TV movies. Not because they were TV yeah. movies, but they feel like TV movies anyways. Like there's some Well, TV- a lot of them were too. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like there are a lot of TV movies that feel elevated, and there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm not necessarily – I'm watching something that probably could have been in the theaters – I've rarely felt that way about Stephen King adaptations. I mean, like probably, I mean, as as we've gotten older and as like the time has passed, like movies have gotten a little bit better and like it, it chapter two, those are great examples of movies that I think are really wonderful, really, really, really decent adaptations and really decent interpretations of the material. This is also, this fits in that category too. I think this is one of those great, adaptations of a Stephen King story where they're not just going for jump scares. They're not just going for like, how do I make this as profitable as possible? This is Mike Flanagan saying like, I loved this book. I loved this. I loved both books. I want to show you guys. I love this movie. I want to show you guys what this story can really do. And he really takes it for a ride, man. It's intense and brutal and sad and scary and awesome all at once. I mean, there's just so much to enjoy. Yes. That, Again, I'm not really – I mean, we've said this on the show a lot. I'm not really a horror guy. I like Stephen King, but I do not jump at the – I don't jump out As to I the As I put theater. you through 31 days of horror in a row. <laughs> I don't jump out to the theater to go see these these kinds of movies, but this movie was fucking awesome. And, again, it's yeah. three hours long. It literally has the earmarks of all movies I would never watch on a regular basis, and I'm fucking engrossed while I was watching this. Yes, uh, I did see it in theater. Me and my wife actually went as our day date. So it's like we went to this nice little cafe and got some lattes and uh, fancy like $8 pastry, whatever the fuck you do on weird date, you know, day dates because we. Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, let's try to live in like the Great British Bake Off. So we're having that kind of morning. Right. And then it's like, hey, let's go see that shining sequel. That'll be a wacky good time. And I had never read the book. So I went in purely blind. And all of a sudden you're like an hour in. You're like, God, we're just hanging dead children on the board yeah my wife's sitting there no longer living in her great british fantasy but just this fucking miserable uh you know wasteland of dead children (laughs) but what it is though is it's it's this unrelentingly brutal in two ways which is that the actual destruction of young kids right innocence and this and that and that's always extra tragic because of the potentiality of what they could be and all this and that right it's easier to watch an old person die. Uh, also, though, this is such a brutally intimate portrait of Danny Torrance. Yes. And even Wendy Torrance, to an extent, after the events of The Shining. Mm-hmm. And so this movie, a lot of the horror in this movie to me, whereas The Shining is this 
wildly uncomfortable kind of ambience that makes you feel like you are surrounded by spirits and the ghost and the weight of the past. Right. This movie, I would say, is just a straightforward lunch pail and work boots. We're going to take you on this journey. Yeah. And the characters are so fucking good that you still get those other. Yeah. Those other beats, you know, because this this movie is not what The Shining is a ghost story. This is not. No, this is I mean, it's fascinating because when you watch them together, they do really work well hand in hand. Like the two hander that it does is really fascinating to me because. The Shining is about the Shining is about a man coming to grips with the fact that he is not he is not this like um, like he's not this American ideal of a man. And he's coming yeah. to grips with the fact that he can't be a family man and the thing he wants to be at the same time. Like, so he uses alcohol to somehow like fluid, like make the make that line between those two people fluid, and it works in pretty disastrous ways. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, this one is about accepting the past, accepting what you've inherited from the past, and really kind of like understanding who you are in the grand scheme of. Not just the universe at large, but your life in general. Because to me, this movie does such a good job of showing us Danny Torrance sitting his life out for the most part at the very beginning. When we meet Danny Torrance, Mm -hmm. he is on the sideline of his own life. He is getting wasted in bars, having random one-night stand hookups, and leaving kids with their dead mother in a house uh, uh, apartment. Spoiler alert. But... Yeah, all spoil. I mean, but this is this is what I think is. But that's where we amazing, start with right? And yeah, well, I think that the point you were making about this being such a good two hander with the first one is what it does is it doesn't. He has this wonderful bridge, and he talked about this how hard it was to get Stephen King to sign off on this vision. Yeah, because Stephen King's like, I don't want to do the Stanley Kubrick one again. I hate it. And Flanagan's argument was it's too iconic to ignore. Right. Right. So what he does is he bridges all of these disparate source materials. And The Shining now plays as a child's POV of an absolute nightmare scenario, right? right. And we cut to this, and it it feels – this one, again, is a little more based in reality. Mm-hmm. And so starting at Danny the, – the, the trauma of what had happened, right? He didn't escape that or defeat that with his father who had abused him. No. Now we start and room 237 is now his bathroom. Yeah. Right. It, it is an unmoored, unanchored room in this hotel. But this is where he now is the hotel, right? Where these things are just coming after him. And we see him wetting his pants and Wendy's just desperately trying to make it okay. And it's it's one of those strange things where for years the shining had ended, right? Our story at the Overlook Hotel had ended. And I, I was so amazed at how much that time spent with these victims of the movie mm-hmm. mattered to me. Because a lot of horror movie sequels, when you start off, it's like, oh, you know, it's the Michael Scott. Here, we, here I go again. Right. I got to go fight well, this guy in a mask again. This one, we're really watching this real right. world fallout. And they get amazing run out of Halloran and Wendy. Oh my and the, God. the kind of leftover residual effects of what we saw. I got to tell you, it's so nice to see Carl Lumley get to be on screen because I've always only ever known him as the voice of Martian Manhunter. So it's so much fun to yeah. see him on screen. And he's so fucking good as uh, Dick Halloran. 
And I that yeah, scene that's amazing. That scene out by the beach when Danny's just sitting there almost made me cry. Like it's one of those great moments, like this yeah. great two hander. And again, the kid is really good. Like, how often have we wa- have we watched movies with child actors and we just fucking hate them? Like, I honestly like I I, I was engrossed. Like everyone is so good in yeah. this movie, but it's a wonderful scene. It's a great. Th- it's a, it's also like Mike Flanagan does such a good job of this. Like everything that is ex- expository material in this movie to like explain to you how things work and explain to you what the world you're entering is because. All we know is The Shining. We know what The Shining is. The Shining is its own reality in and of itself, like we talked about yesterday. Now we have to live in the real world with Danny Torrance. And that, I think, is the the real trick of the movie, is bringing The Shining, elements of The Shining, into the real world and not making it hokey or just, like, jump scary. Like, because the bathroom, the bathroom in room 237, particularly at the very beginning, could be a jump scare could be anything. It's so much better as the same vibe you get from the original, which is the slow push. You see her from afar. She doesn't like pop up in your face. You see the woman in the bathtub pulling the curtain back and you know, you already know what's there and it's still fucking scary, man. Like that is the true value of Mike Flanagan using iconography like that is you're prepared and yet you're not. And I, I fucking love that about this entire movie. Yeah. It also reinforces that Danny is projecting all the ghosts and they are from him. <laughs> You're not wrong. But no, what, what, You're not what wrong. I like about the scene with Halloran, though, right? I think it's really important because this, I think The Shining a lot is a movie about magic and mysticism and symbolisms, right? Right. Uh, the Shining in that first movie is kind of this magical gift that we don't fully understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Really, all we know is that you can read minds and that Halloran claims that because of that, you can see things that other people can't. Right. So what this movie does, it, it takes the shining from this mystical power. Right. And I think by nature, the fantasy element of that, all of a sudden you start, oh, well, this could be used for this and this. And Danny could gamble and you start laying that out. Right. It seems like a gift. What the scene with Halloran does is absolute rips the fucking guts out of any of the magic of The Shining. And this creates the curse of the movie, right? What we see through this entire movie is that The Shining is a curse. Yes. And even Abra, who in this movie is shown as, you know, this wildly powerful, optimistic, you know, plucky, she's going to, you know, fight the bad guys. Her life is demonstrably worse by the end of the movie. Yes. Uh, Jacob Tremblay's baseball boy. You know, he just wanted a better batting average, and that did not go well. Not at all. Right? So the shining is a curse not only for the person who has it. So we're ripping this mysticism. This ain't a fantasy and a dream. This is the real life where shit sucks. (laughs) Right. Right? Uh, So you rip that out, and then we moor it to the earth, and we make it a fucking curse for you and anyone who comes in contact with you. And that second part about it hitting the people around you is probably my favorite. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what makes it's what makes us want to watch Danny Torrance's story, because, again, I think in the first movie, like in in The Shining. You're right. It does strip a lot of the mysticism away, and it's a good thing because you do want to look at this from Danny's perspective, like. The most important thing about this movie and the best way, best thing they could have done to set this movie up 
is to make sure that they reinforce the point that from Danny's perspective, this is literally the worst thing that could happen to him to be this kind of person to have this kind of power. Oh my God. Like it's the worst possible. It's the worst possible repercussions of being not only Danny Torrance, but also being the son of Jack Torrance. This is like, this is the curse of being the son of Jack Torrance is that now he spends the rest of his life having to deal with stuff like the bathroom in room two, three, seven and so on and so forth. Like this kind of like, the being an antenna like that being a psychic antenna like that and drawing in all of this psychic energy comes at a cost of having to be simply like it's almost unmanageable and as we you know we get as we get later in the movie with that wonderful scene in the gold room when he goes back to the overlook like we find out what it really cost and that to me is like I, i love that about because it really squarely frames the movie in danny's in 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 a in Danny's mindset, and now we're not seeing it like you were saying from a scared little kid's perspective. This movie now comes from the perspective of someone who does not want to have to deal with this anymore. Doesn't want to have yeah. to be a part of this at all. Well, also, I mean, he's we we end The Shining seeing a young boy trap his abusive, murdering father in a maze, right, and leave him behind in this chaotic, confusing environment, right. What we learn is that all of that journey was for nothing and that all Danny wants to do is not use his powers for good. And uh, his mom can't even look him in the eyes because she sees her murdering husband and on top of being afraid of what he is. Right. Right. Uh, When she runs out to find him at the bench when he's trying to talk to Halloran, like these are moments that say, oh, my God, the horror is just beginning for these people. Right. Totally. I think the movie constantly refers to uh, the world as a hungry place. Mm-hmm. And we see that in every fucking step of the way in this movie is just how much everything is being taken from people all the time. Yeah. So that that it taking away the one glimmer of hope we saw in the first movie, which is they they got away in uh, now saying they didn't fucking escape. And not only that. Danny Torrance becomes almost an equally as bad version of his father. Oh, I'd say almost worse. I mean, like the only, well, diff- I mean, that's the thing. He murdered Halloran. Uh, <laughs> he by proxy murdered a baby. Yes. And is- I, I do, I do want to say this to the audience. I'm not, I think that's a director's cut edition, but when you and McGregor, who's on the verge of getting his act together, rolls over and sees that the woman he had a one night stand with, uh, died that wasn't just throw up she died right she choked on that and he left her and her son in there and took the money and we see the corpse of a baby um that moment to me was it's not just shocking because of the imagery of seeing a dead baby that is believe me that is the moment that our great british uh day date was dead 100 percent. my wife gave me the are you fucking kidding me look yeah she ended up loving the movie, though, so don't don't think too ill of me. Sure. But in that moment, it is the absolute last second of this movie yeah. where that kind of mysticism and, you know, something magical could still happen, something good could come. Right. That's it. Like, well, that's the moment where you are broken. It's, a, it's interesting. Like, way. my wife didn't get to see that. Like, my, my wife didn't see that part because she had already run upstairs because the scene where he actually like leaves the kid 
on her bed with like a bag of cheat like a bag of Cheez-Its. Like that like that sent her like my wife ran upstairs and had to cry because it was just like yeah. the thought of neglecting a kid to the point where you're just going to leave him there like having that disregard for human life in a way was just and from I, I yeah, from her. a character that we only knew as a young boy who was right. in danger so to endanger someone like that in that selfish manner is so fucking horrifying again yeah. like that's the real horror of the movie itself to me well that, that that moment right that gets back to what you're saying too is not only is he leaving that kid but then halloran is there to just be like are you fucking kidding yeah halloran's like at right. least call someone uh, and he's like well it's not my kid like it's like a whole yeah again it's 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 but it, it's so terrifying and so awful but it's also yeah. another reason that i fucking love this movie because we right. na- like but and that the- scene to your point that's the difference is this is a terrifying horror movie that takes place in your actual home. Yes, exactly. You don't need to go to some elaborate, weird, carpeted hotel with, you know, right. ghost floppers or I, flappers, whatever the fuck right. And like, people were. I think that that's the kind of thing when you take something as iconic as The Shining, not just the movie but the story itself, and you pull it out of the pull it out into the real world. Like, I think about Stephen King having to like write Doctor Sleep in general, like. That is a tall order to have to take something that's so isolated and so easily written within the context and confines of a single location to have to yeah. have to apply that sort of story and that sort of character to the real world itself is almost a Herculean task. And granted, yeah, one of the greatest horror writers of all time, I'm sure that's not a pro- yeah. that's not a problem. But I think fueled with the rocket fuel of hatred for Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> exactly he fucking just wants to out kubrick yeah it's like one of those things where i think that that's why the movie is so effective though is that mike flanagan understands that and understands the tightrope that's required to walk that and he never goes too far for me like it's never a moment where i think he doesn't understand what he's trying to say in this movie and again we pontificate a lot on this and i try not to wax poetic about directing style and stuff like that but there's just so much that can go wrong when you're doing a movie like this, that's so fucking cool. And it's just so awesome that he, he, he literally just, he contains this story so well and so fascinating. And again, it's three hours long and I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like I was wanting, I was wanting more. It's like, Oh, give it to me. Mike Flanagan. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You were the bulldog and Mike Flanagan was the, the wealthy guy in that bedroom that Wendy saw. Indeed. Let me, (laughs) let me ask you this. What did you think about the way they brought the the shining as it were out into the real world the steam um if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I feel like I hated that part of the movie the steam stuff the steam the steam stuff to me it i okay so let me put it this way hate is such a strong word it's very strong when them drinking the children and this and that right. That is a terrifying image, right? Yeah. And it plays perfectly, which to me is the real theme of the movie, is that every character feels like they're not enough and the flaw is that they just don't have enough time, right? So the idea of sucking the time out of these kids, right, and then becoming just this dust, right? Like not even a body. They're almost just – or no, they are. The the true not become the dust. But anyways – sucking the steam out of them and capturing it and canistering it. And there are 
horrific scenes, right? Baseball Boy, Violet at the start of the movie is just absolute nightmare fuel, right? That is every parent's worst fucking nightmare ever. Yeah. And so I think the true not work in that regard of the hunters, I don't know that I like this kind of, I don't know, vampiric matrix style version of the shining i mean i don't know i mean psychic vampires is something like i mean i i fucking love that and what we do in the shadows so like to me like it doesn't bother me (laughs) (laughs) well i just there are scenes where i was like when we start tilting bedrooms it's like you just you're like that to me is not nearly as good or effective as all the other stuff i've seen in these two movies you know like, all of that stuff to me just felt – I like the idea of there being people that just have this shine, this extra gift. Right. I like the idea that there are just things that want to eat. But then also the fact that there's true knots well, and there's ghost. Well, to like, me – Like, it just felt very messy to me. Uh, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I like the, – like, the true knot, for instance, for me, is a really fascinating group of people simply because, like – Yeah. They – because they don't exactly shine, right? Like, they're not necessarily those with that Well, supposedly gift. there's, like, different classes right. of shining so people that have different these, abilities. And these people, the ones that are, the, like, the true knot are, in my opinion, they would be the bottom feeders. Now, granted, what I love about this movie is it finally contextualizes hippies in the way that everyone deserves to, con- everyone knows they should be contextualized in. <laughs> The fucking is, barnacle on the sack of dirty society. Dirty bottom feeder psychic vampires. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Had to get my hippie jab in there. Um, like, here's the, th- here's the scene that honestly, like, sends me over. Because to me, up to this point, like, I was like, this is pretty typical. Like, it's pretty interesting. Like, I'm enjoying it. The scene where Rose the Hat goes after Abra could have been just, like, the most standard schlocky like regular horror movie stuff you could get there's an elevation to that moment and it starts from when like rose is literally just floating above the clouds like that could be really corny and really weird it could be like fucking sarah jessica parker riding a broom and hocus pocus and instead it's this really (laughs) weird somber moment where she's literally walking she's just like quietly floating and then she gets to Abra's room. She's talking to herself. Like Rebecca Ferguson's amazing as a villain in this movie. Like Absol- she's like Rose incredible. the Hat. Rose the Hat. Twenty years from now will be an iconic horror movie Absolutely. villain. Like she for like, sure. Everything she does absolute in this movie is so dominance good. of this movie. So yes, good. I'm one hundred percent with you. But that scene to me when she gets there and she gets into Abra's library and so on and so forth, like. That scene is elevated so quickly by Abra with no face and Rose flipping through pages and stuff like that. There's stuff in there that's so much more interesting than it had any business being. That to me, that's that's where like that's where I don't have a problem with the psychic vampire, the steam, that kind of because the steam thing, I'm with you. It's hokey, okay? Like the scenes where they do it, a little weak. Other than murdering children, which is horrifying, like yeah. Basically, like if we're all just like standing around huffing, uh, huffing the hairspray, that's a different yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these people are not the keyboard spraying things we used to huff in high school. Like, but that's what, like what's the most iconic thing about The Shining? The elevator of blood. Just have them drink the fucking blood, 
Right, but just then, have them. But it's then better that, imagery than. <gasps> but then that makes them real vampires. Like I, I, I get why it's done. It's, a vampire by any other name. But my it's friend. also I get why it's done. Visually, it's a little corny. But like again, we talk about this all the time. To me, it's the one thing I give for this movie. It's it's the pass sure. I give because. But it's if, like it's even watching the elderly people at the hospice. They have like a tiny like clout, like a a queff of. <laughs> Like just a queff of light, right? Or shine, and you're like, "Well, Jesus Christ, just like go hang out," you know? Right. Yeah, it's weird that the True Not have not figured out like how to survive longer in just like hospice care. Like, I don't understand why they're like, yeah, marauding hippies. They should have been really fucking weird. orderlies. That's what I'm saying. But this is like the thing that, and the movie does this a couple times too, where they're like, they try to say that like modern world makes the smoke suck. They're like, oh god, the doctors and their pills and their diet. TV has ruined the steam. I was like, Danny watched TV for like every scene. Yeah, of I was going to say, then Danny's like, torch. What are we talking about? But so it's weird because I like the true knot is a group of parasitic predators that don't have enough ability and this and that on their own. Yeah, right? totally. And I like them trying to glom on to these gifted children, right? Like, but this is that's that to you. The scene that you said with the the floating and the you know, faceless, I got my hand caught in the library, whatever. That scene to me does pull me all the way out of the movie. And I'm just not interested Interesting. in that. Whereas you have a scene where Baseball Boy's walking home and Snake by Annie just opens the door and says, you do trust us. You do want to ride home. And he just, without any ability to say no, says yes. And we know exactly where this is heading. That is the fucking terror that Dr. Sleep does so well. Oh, I feel no. like the closer it gets to kind of anytime we are leaving the actual hard reality, the movie suffers more and more. You know, I mean, again, I, I don't disagree that the terror is definitely in the quieter moments of this movie. Like other than yeah. the brutal murders. Uh, yeah. Like terror. Sure. Terror is <laughs> all around all around these characters at all times. Like yeah. even stuff that is not terrifying seems terrifying. Like danny's uh eight-year chip speech at, a, at the aa meeting like oh. it's brutal it, it, it and that that gets back to what you were saying too in the last pod is that the older you get you find like you almost are mildly sympathetic for jack for him to have the wherewithal to be sympathetic with his father it's pretty i fascinating. thought that that was a stunning scene and he again ewan mcgregor equally as amazing at in his performance he's just so good like that that scene was right just i mean this is like the thing that i and this is why i don't have a problem with scenes like rose the hat going to abra's room that kind of stuff because that's not the focus of this movie at all like this movie could be marred in cgi hell and they could do all kinds of goofy shit and make us all go who gives a shit about any of this but this movie lives in the performances of three or four people and it's just fucking incredible. Like, right. Rebecca. But that's what I mean. Ian McGregor. He, he lives. He, this yeah. movie lives and thrives in a more Stephen King world. Right. Yeah. Real characters with real enormous flaws. That is where it shines. Anytime we start doing <laughs> mysticism Chad. in this movie, it feels like it. <laughs> there you go. It feels like it begins to lose its grasp on me. a little. Sure. Like, here's the feels like it I begins loved, to lose right? its steam. <laughs> <laughs> two in a row well right. played Keep well going. played Keep what's going. a great party <laughs> cheerio i've got to go up to the room with the bulldog guy so 
here's a scene that I thought was a fucking outstanding scene, which is when Abra's parents come in from the party and all the spoons are on the ceiling. Yeah. This is one of my favorite moments in the movie because they turn around and she is smiling. Look at what I did. I did magic. The thing that I just saw make everyone happy. And her own parents look at her in horror. Their own daughter who they love, right? This girl they just threw the party for. A happy family. And you see Abra's face drop. She knows now that her gift and the thing that she's excited about is not okay. Right. In her parents' eyes, her face drops and all the fucking spoon drops. Yeah. And I was like, that is such a perfect visual moment in this film. Yeah. I mean. That's the kind of stuff that I want more of in this film. Like, here's the scene that. It just struck me as like kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, and again, this gets back into the ripping mysticism out of the world. Rose the Hat does not go grocery shopping. I'm sorry. Rose the Hat is never grocery shopping in what looked like a super Walmart. Like she's just not dressed like my aunt with a top hat by the fish sticks. Like that's not something that I, ex- as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is not right. This is not. And so her getting blown away, you know, through a reflection, I was like, I feel like I wanted someone to try to Karen Rose and get got, you know what I mean? Like as soon as I saw her in the grocery store, I was like, no, no fucking way. Is she going, Oh, I have a coupon for that. Like there's no world in which that exists. Well, I mean, you know, not necessarily. Uh, no, there's no, why doesn't she send one of the other eight useless true knots that we've seen the whole movie? Oh my God. They're so useless. They should have been called the balloon knots. Send those guys to the grocery. (laughs) You stay there meditating and floating. But I mean, that's what's, you know, that's something interesting too, is like no one in the true knot other than like, obviously Snakebite and Crow Daddy are really like notable or interesting at all. They like the old guy that dies. I'm just like, cool. I've seen that guy in like every movie, but well, he's only notable because he just looks like he's about to die in every scene. Like, he's oh notable because he looks like the priest from Poltergeist Grandpa 3. Grandpa Fleck. Is, yeah, or Poltergeist right. 2 is what he looks like. He looks like Reverend Kane. But, like, they did. I will say this, though. They used him in a spectacular scene, which is when he begins to cycle. Yeah. It's a beautiful inversion of what Danny does for the hospice patients, right? Danny, for the first time we've ever seen, is using his shining. Yeah. To help others, mm-hmm. to comfort them, they call him Doctor Sleep. Him and his weird, creepy cat that they just don't explain. Like, are the True Knots just out there draining cats of smoke or whatever? Anywho, so, <laughs> but I love the inversion of her trying to. He's just saying peaceful things, like yeah. remember these good moments. And one kid's like, you know, your twin sons, uh, a swing, a tractor ride, and he really is at peace. And then, just that little smoke comes out. What she's saying to Fleck is, you saw empires fall. You drained kings and popes. Yeah. And he still is scared and sad and miserable at the end of his life. And that is a beautiful element to add to this, the uselessness of their well, their brutal cause that we've been following. Not only that, though, and actually the thing that I was most struck by in that scene was the punctuation of when he finally, like, evaporates. They all yes. just converge. Like, Paris, it was, Dude. I was like, this is a perfect way to explain yes. the like you could not see any other scene for the entire movie with the true knot and just watch that moment and you know everything you need to know about these characters and yeah. who they are they are parasitic organisms feeding off other people's life forces like that to me was so fucking terrifying and cool yeah 
like I, I just love that. I love that. Just that, that, just that's that little beautiful. Moment. Yeah, absolutely. And what a great decision to add in too, because you know he doesn't die with reverence. Like no. they're sitting there, like we're so sad. And then one second later, oh my god, it's thanks, so it's thanks, so bitch. indignant. I loved it. I was <laughs> just like, is, oh yeah. Oh my god, you're so right. That is one of my favorite moments in the movie for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about Jack's reluctance to help Abra, right? Dan- I think Danny's. Danny, what did I? Oh, Jack, see, because he's acting like his father. <laughs> Hiya. So from child murderer to good guy. Yeah. Explain. <laughs> well, people change. and uh... <laughs> I thought his journey in this movie was really pretty good right i mean you can't redeem him it is the hard thing is i do think the dead baby moment is in the director's cut there is a world in which that is danny just creating a manifestation and there isn't a real world dead baby that seems far-fetched i mean it's hard to bring it back from that (laughs) yeah i mean i think you can explain it away as like that's danny's that's Danny manifest. Like we've like we talked about with the fir- with the shining is just like you can explain the way that like Danny draws these sort of things into himself, and so it's not necessarily the real world, but his own reflection of himself in a lot of yeah. ways. I mean, yeah. I think that's the interesting thing a lot about Danny Torrance in this movie in general is that his shine has now, like you were saying, has become this curse. But it's curse in this way that ultimately. Um, it's all about the inflection point of his gift. So like yeah. the, his inability to be his inability to be able to think outside himself is what turns is what turns it off. And he, you know, we like, like we get, we'll get to that later, but like to me, Danny's inability, like Danny being able to finally start giving that gift away again is I think the really yeah. fascinating. That's when things stop being so brutal and stop being so hateful is these images don't come in like assault him as much instead he's able to finally like release release this to himself like he doesn't have to lock it away or pent it doesn't have to be pent up inside him so Mm -hmm. yeah i think danny's arc is really good and again how often do you get a movie where you get like three hours of a movie and it's like an actual character arc where you see like things progress it's pretty fascinating Again, well, I, it's really strange because it's almost two movies playing simultaneously. Yeah. And then with about an hour and 20 minutes left, they're like, now we're midnight running. And you're like, wow, OK. <laughs> like, it, it's very strange that the movie takes so much time away from him yeah. when he's just killing it in every scene. You know, um, there. I, I do have a question, I guess. Do you think Halloran is really reaching from the alternate reality? No. Cause that kind of fucks up the ending, right? Where when Danny comes back and Abra's talking to him and he's saying, shine on Abra, shine on. Right. Cause that, that is one of the beautiful things I like too, is he originally, he's like, hide, hide your shine, you know, mask it. Don't be seen. And at the end, he's like, shine on man, shine on Abra well, Stone. I guess that, was quick. that is such a great moment. If she's saying that to herself, I guess I was quick to say no, maybe, I mean, you could explain it both ways. I think like, yeah, I mean, I couldn't quite settle on it because we know that there's supposedly ghost from the overlook. But I mean, you can right? also say that that's like a psychic. That's the psychic residue. That's the steam that wasn't yeah. sucked up. That steam that still exists in the world, you know, because yeah. I mean, they do eat Rose the hat. 
presumably. Yeah. I will. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, I, whatever. Yeah. Right. Do. So, like, by the end of the movie, they're like, there are one hundred percent ghosts. <laughs> but it is like one of those. I'm like, where is Dick Halloran? Is he just in uh, his red room heaven that just has titties everywhere on uh, for Walhart? No, no. He's in like, that. Halloran's like, I'm in my red titty room, and he's then I'll in, come no, back no. He's staying in those <laughs> swanky Fort Lauderdale digs he had in the first movie. <laughs> But that's what I mean. I love that when it's just like an old guy watching TV on his robe. Yeah. And then as the shots get wider and wider, you're like, there's just porn on every wall. It's just tits. The titty pad. I think and I was like, that's probably what his head looks like. I mean, to me, this movie, like, so yeah, you get like two and a like you get two hours in and then they start going towards the overlook and like, man, I, it's hard for me a lot of the time to get behind sequels and a lot of stuff that they do in sequels, but this, they treat this like with such reverence and such intensity that it almost takes on a new life of its own when they get to the overlook. Like I, when they're standing outside and he's like, I got to go wake it up. Like, Oh my God. Like I, like honestly, I was like, Holy shit. Like, I don't know what's about to happen. Like it might be really fucked up, but it also like just the thought of like, Danny now having to address this, like him finally coming back to the place where this really, where his dude, his, you know, the moment, you know, the moment that that all sets in the fucking pitch black helicopter over the lake again. Yeah. You're like, Oh my God. But now you're like, my helicopter feels faster. Cause I've just seen all these dead children <laughs> and like dead. Nice dad, like really nice dad gets stabbed. Yeah. Just off camera. For, it's, oh yeah. It's, it's a lot. You know what, though? Sorry, I skipped ahead, though. The um, crow daddy scene, the crow daddy death is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Like, so basically, like, when Danny takes that's over, clever. when that's Danny takes over Abra, I'm like, that's a very clever thing to do. And that's also really interesting. And I fucking, I loved that scene. And I, I think yeah. that's a great. Well, that was cool, too, because they did the hands, right? Yeah. Danny actually reaching out and bonding with another human, which has been really hard. Yeah. Like, even his friend, who is so good in the movie, right? Their story together is so endearing and charming. And when Annie the Snake has probably one of the best moments in the movie, and she's like, kill yourself. And he fucking does it. That that actually, like, I I was on my chair today. I had to pause it because I was just like, fuck, man. Yeah. I was like, oh. Like, reliving that death really hurt me. Like, I was really sad about that Everyone in this movie is like, fuck, dude. Can Is there a a character that cliff curtis can't play like no, that guy is amazing he deserves he's fucking so, amazing he deserves so much more than he actually gets like he's absolutely yeah. incredible and he always is 100 percent feels like a real like character and absolutely yeah he's but his he's so good in that like in his bonding with danny is obviously the bridge that gets us to the rest but him just what I love about that moment is this character we've grown to really love, and he saves the Danny that we wanted to have, right, rather than the piece of shit baby murdering Danny. Right. And for him to just be thrown away so callously, so fast, like it doesn't fucking matter at all, is kind of what this movie does a lot, which is anyone who is – it's almost the thing I don't love about it at times, which is if you don't have enough steam, you're not worth a shit. Yeah. In this movie, like everyone who doesn't have steam, it's like, fuck you, fuck you, dead, 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 dead. You know, <laughs> it's like the only person you're like, well, yeah, the guy who's trying to get snake by Danny. Amazing little vignette, by the way, is her like marking her her own people. I love that stuff. So those guys can fuck off. But everyone else is just like normal, nice people. And because they don't have steam, it, you're dead. You're fucking dead. You're fucking dead. 
and it's it's almost as if we're clearing them out so we can get to this psychic battle royale at the overlook yeah. for the heart of what the shining is which is really kind of a cool thing because when he's waking it up the thing that struck me is that this feels like almost like those pop-up cafes in hollywood version of the overlook yeah it looks similar but it has none of the atmospheric value to me it is very hollow and recreated yeah which is a really good choice because you're never it reminded me of ready player one when they tried to Oh, The Shining's a scary movie. And all Spielberg did was showed us all the things that are not scary about The Shining. <laughs> yes. And just made it this big, dumb, stupid cartoon with a giant with an axe. Right. Just totally missing the fucking point. And Flanagan to say, you know what? I'm not going to try to out Kubrick Kubrick because that's impossible. But I will stand in his cathedral and we'll fucking wrestle with what's left. Yeah. I thought that is a really cool choice because apparently that was one of the big hiccups. Is King was like, I do not want to do this again. And he's like, we have to go back here. Yeah. And finally sold him on it because the ending of this movie is essentially the ending of The Shining, right. right? Where Danny takes it on himself. The building blows up. That's what Jack does at the end of the first one, right. essentially. Um, I will tell you this. I don't think this movie works for me without that tie up at the Overlook. No, I don't think so either. I mean, like, I think if it had been anything else, it's so it loses so much emotional resonance. Like, again, yeah. like it's the it's not just because this is the movie we watched and this is the imagery we have in our heads, but like this is where this happened. Like, this is where Danny realized who he really was. So yeah. for him to go back and not just broach the overlook, but walking into the gold room and have to have that conversation with his father. That's that to me, that's the whole movie. That's though. that, that is, scene right there in is the, the overlook. He gets the two moments that we most desperately need. And Kubrick a lot is, you know, talked about as this director who was a technical master, but a lot of people are like, your films are so fucking cold and inhuman in a way. Right. Mm -hmm. And the shining is not necessarily far off from that. And for him to get these two moments, they so fucking mattered to me. Him walking into the gold room and confronting Lloyd, who's his father, which, again, that's another reason I think the Lloyd in the first one was Jack's father. That scene is everything to me. Oh, because totally. one, he's confronting his past and the horror. Um, a father who he recognizes the face but isn't the man he thought he was because he's calling himself Lloyd. And this is the moment. This is something I was going to run by you. This moment I thought was extra fucking cool, man. Because as he's talking and he pours him his brand, right? His brand. Yeah. And uh, he does the, you know, man takes a drink, drink takes a drink, drink takes a man, right? He's doing that segment of it. Jack reaches out and fucking drinks the drink. Yep. Pours another one. And he fucking smacks it away, right? Again, clumsy ghosting. I think that what little bit of Jack Torrance exists in that moment, right? Whether that's a ghost or Danny's projection again. I think that is Jack not wanting his son to take the drink. Again, because I think that Jack, I think Danny has Grady in the first one, right? And he's giving him a test. I think this is Jack giving it back, and he's so happy that his son passed the test. I thought that was such a – do you think that Jack knocking that drink away is in anger or 
get that fucking away from you so you don't become the next Lloyd. I mean, because they end up in the bathroom again. Like, again, the, yeah. the scene plays out the same way it does in The Shining, which is it's. And I think it's interesting because Danny's been through so much. Like, Danny has this wonderful monologue about seeing, like, the death flies. And yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man, that's so and good. then talking about what I was talking about. The This is the thing that really, like, honestly choked me up was, like, the last time he used his gift was to change his eye color for his mother so that she wouldn't have to see Jack and Danny. Like he was erasing Jack from their life altogether. So it almost doubly makes this moment that much more impactful because not only is not only does Danny have to face his father, but he has to face the fact that he's basically he's he's inherited he's inherited more things than just his father's eye color from him. Like yeah. it's a disease. Like I, I I love that line. This alcohol is gonna this drink's gonna cost a lot more than that. It's going to cost yeah. a lot more than money. Like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, he saw the worst version of a drunk and a father and a right. man, and he fought it and beat it as a child and then became him. Right. I it's, mean, it's an unbelievable place to start and end the movie. Right. It's such a lovely book. But to answer your question, I do think that there's a. Yes. Like, I think that I think the ghost of Jack Torrance is trying to reach out and smack it yeah. away. And then he takes the drink and then throws the drink. Right? right. So he's giving when he takes the drink, he's telling him, you did what I couldn't. And then at the end, he smacks him away. Right. And I'm proud of you when he smacks that drink away. And that's that like, took me back to the chip speech. Right. Which is I think he would have given anything to be where I am right now. Right. Well, in eight I, years clear and not an axe murderer. I think he <laughs> I think he smacks it away. That's like the briefest moment. And then the Lloyd comes back and takes him into the bathroom. But that's like the moment where he has to like, it's the same thing. Like he has to face right. himself. Like Danny's bathroom scene is the entirety of the overlook though. And that's like the thing that's really fascinating. And that's why I feel like without that moment and without that scene in general, the ending of this movie, which is very cinematic, like it's very movie S like it's a, great big awesome action set piece ending there's a lot of yeah. fun stuff but without sure. that there is absolutely yeah. no emotional weight to it and it almost loses. like think about that scene them just going to the overlook danny walking in and waking up the house and then rose showing up there's no emotional resonance whatsoever it's just like no. oh danny's back at the overlook like well also that's the first time that those two characters have met and she's like oh handsome right. but like yeah her doing the jack up the stairs and throwing him down the stairs uh the ghost the box like none of that i mean it's fine it's it's fun in games but like none of it mattered to no, me right because the scene like, i didn't care about her slicing rose yeah because once he gets to talk to jack the the movie's over for me i don't give no, a fuck totally. about what happens the entire I, I, there's some nice because the other scene i love is when he they, they do this thing where he's becoming part of the overlook and he's chasing her down with an ax. Yeah. I don't like that bit. I don't, I don't love that bit because he's already beaten the overlook when he faces his dad. I don't need to see him running down the hall with the ax. Right. But the moment I love is when he is going to close the door behind for Abra. Yeah. 
And he goes down in the boiler room and he's sitting there just coming to grips with it, right? He fights his hand back from the spigot. And when his mom's hand, man, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. When his mom's hand touches his face and he actually gets to look her in the eyes again. One, because she doesn't have the death flies, which prevented him from doing it. But also now with his own eyes, right? His own eyes of his father. Uh, That was such a, a perfect ribbon on the movie. It is. I mean, and like that, that's you didn't have to have the extra shit with Abra and like she's just going to live her life shining like that's cool. That's all great. Yeah. But that those two moments, Danny coming to grips with the horrible things that his parents in this fucking place produced. I mean, that that was the you could you could say that movie's whatever. But with those two scenes alone, this movie gave me everything I yeah. I'd ask that's for the it. payoff for a sequel right there. That's the whole yeah. point. Like, and that's to me where Dr. Sleep lives and breathes is in these smaller moments and in these like really quiet character moments. And that's what Mike Flanagan yeah. got about what made Kubrick's movie so effective. Kubrick's movie is effective because Stanley Kubrick's a great director, but what Mike Flanagan grafts onto Dr. Sleep as a director is the ability to, take those like cold moments like we've been talking about and those calculated beats and making them so emotionally resonant, not just because we've seen that imagery before, but because you put two actors in a great two actors in a scene with making, having great performances with a great script behind it. Like it's a knocking out. It's a knockout of the park situation. And I think that was the thing that was so great about the gold room in this movie was that scene I, I showed I, I told Andrea I'm like I know you don't want to watch this movie but you need to come downstairs and watch this like I watched it yeah. three times because I was just yeah. like this is amazing. Well, and if it, you watch them side by side too, it's unbelievable because yeah. Nicholson's doing a cartoon devil talking to a man that he has hatred for, wanting an excuse to do what he wants. Whereas Ewan McGregor is this broken man trying to find the strength to forgive and forget. Right. Right. A man that he wishes he could love. It's such a perfect. And again, The Shining has a lot of play with mirrors. That's I mean, those two are the perfect mirrors of what makes this Kubrick gets the big, scary images. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the things Stephen King does so well is creating real human characters. And Flanagan becomes this amazing bridge in how he sets that up. And, you know, I I think it pays great homage to to both, you know, creators. And I think. Uh, you know, just to wrap this up, I just think Dr. Sleep, it's it is this amazing it almost it's funny you said that it has that like made for TV vibe that a lot of Stephen King's have. This feels like it could have been a made for TV miniseries, but just so fucking good. Oh, I don't think this you know one I mean? does. I think other ones. No, 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 have. I'm not saying like it's not like when you watch like Salem's Lot, but I'm saying right. it kind of has that big spending a lot of time with all these different characters that you really like. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, to me, it's, it's one of the absolute best Stephen King adaptations. I, I fucking adore this movie. And I, again, I think that's the thing. Instead of trying to outshining the shining, he did the opposite, which is just more us to the ground and the muck and the dirt and the hurt that comes along with, you know, this, this very bright light. It's, it's wonderful. And that's I, it. That's it. That's it. For Dr. Sleep uh, and The Shining, what a fond farewell to the Overlook Hotel. Again, guys, we will be dropping a horror movie every day this month. So please stay with us. Uh, Find what we have already done. 
You'll see what comes next tomorrow. Uh, always adding more to the list. Um, you can find us on YouTube. The channel is called Nerd Alchemist. If you want to see these faces. If you want us to haunt you like a ghost. Uh. <laughs> you can email the show. FilmAlchemistPod at gmail.com. With your ideas for movies, guests, double features, anything you want to hear us talk about, stuff we want to know about in, it. In uh, December, guys, make sure you get those in. That's true. Also, you can uh, find us on all your social media. We're there. Hit us up there. And please take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find us. That helps us out a lot, especially on Apple Podcast app. Give us a shout out, guys. Thank you for continuing this sojourn through the abyss of horror genre. Uh, with us we know it's a lot and we know it's been getting dark uh but this is our favorite time of the year man and we thank you guys for doing this with us last so another movie tomorrow and every day the rest of this month uh for the film alchemist i'm josh griffin i'm alex dandino